Thank you for tuning into The World Game, a World Cup podcast. The podcast that will have everything you need to know about the World Cup. There will be recap episodes throughout the tournament, so you won't miss a storyline. Maybe there was a 90th minute game winning goal. Maybe there was some controversy. Either way, we'll dive right into it. My name is Peter Roman. I've loved football all my life, and thanks for joining me on this journey. Before we get going on today's episode, once again, I'd like to talk about the migrant worker situation and my heart and my thoughts are with the victims, the families, and the friends of the people that died in building the World Cup stadiums. It's a horrible tragedy that never should have happened, and I'm going to keep talking about it every single episode. I'm going to keep mentioning this because it's important to not forget that stuff because FIFA should be held accountable for their actions and being complicit in this. And of course, you know, we don't want to see this happen ever again. So now on to the episode. Today's episode is going to be a long one. So make sure you check out the time codes if you want to jump around. And if you want to listen to the whole thing, I really appreciate it. So, we have the entirety of Match Day 2 from Groups C through H. So, it's a lot. And I'm going to actually start with the Team Canada game against Croatia. So, I'm going to start with Canada-Croatia. I'm going to talk about that game for a while. And then I'm going to go alphabetically by the groups. And I'm going to break down all the math you need to know going into the final Match Day for all of these groups. So, that way you don't have to do it. Because there's a lot of complicated math in some of these groups. So, let's start with Canada-Croatia. All right, so, Canada and Croatia. Canada's second game at the World Cup, unfortunately, did not go as well as their first game. They lost this game, final score of 4-1 to one against Croatia. And so, I'm going to do a real, a real deep dive on this game. So, this might take a while, but... I'm going to break down everything about this game, the goals, you know, some of the managerial decisions, and then where Canada should go from here. So, Canada, first the good news, they scored their first ever goal at a Men's World Cup, and of course, it just had to be him, didn't it? It had to be Alfonso Davies. He scored Canada's first goal and, you know, couldn't pick a more worthy candidate of scoring that first goal. It was a great... Canada scored this goal like a minute into the game, and it was a really great play because the long ball got played from the back. Laren took a really good touch out to the wing for Buchanan. Buchanan drove forward, put in the cross. Davies makes a brilliant run. He com- kind of comes out of nowhere a little bit, but he just he's so fast he can sneak up on players very easily. Comes in, great header, just a great header into the back of the net and it's one nothing Canada and they have their first goal and it's awesome it's a great great moment it really is a Canadian heritage moment the only thing that's a negative from the moment what is Canada wearing why do we have black jerseys now I'm just okay I'm gonna go off about jerseys here for like 30 seconds so just bear with me this is a real pet peeve of mine but like why why do we have black jerseys the flag is red and white with a maple leaf on it there's no black there 
Why do we wear black? I hate it when the hockey teams wear black. And I hate it when the soccer teams wear black. It's so dumb. Like, if Canada insists on having a third color, it should be orange. The reason it should be orange is because orange has sentimental value to Canadians, specifically Indigenous groups, right? Because of the orange shirt day and remembering the genocide and all that stuff. But black? Black just looks so wrong. It is bad. Please, 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 Canada, don't ever wear black again. Black is a terrible jersey for our country because where's the black on the flag? Where is the black? Okay? And it doesn't, the color doesn't have to be on the flag, but the color should either be on the flag or have sentimental value. And the color black has neither. It's just, it's, it's dumb. Anyway, back to the game. So the goal was great. Awesome Canadian heritage moment. First goal for Canada at this World Cup. And they had the lead and they pressed. They played really well in the first 20-ish minutes of this game. They were on the front foot for a lot of it. They couldn't quite create the like really great chance they needed to score a second goal, but they certainly threatened and they were they were really pressing the Croatians. Croatia was having trouble dealing with the speed on the wings. Buchanan especially was a real big problem for Croatia. And so there was a lot to be happy about as a Canadian fan. Unfortunately, then, you know, Croatia started to take over. So we're going to talk about the big issue here in just a second, but I'm going to talk about the Croatia goal. So the first goal for Croatia basically happens because there was a great run that was made in behind the defense. Uh, Kramaric, scores, Kramaric scores the goal. Kovacic made the pass. And Atiba Hutchinson and Kamal Miller both kind of weren't sure who was supposed to pick up the run, but it was still really smart. Kramaric found the space, made a really good run, timed it properly, and then Croatia scored. 1-1. And then 10 minutes later, it was Levaya who scored. That one, the second goal was kind of just an unlucky bounce. Like, could Canada have done better defending it? Yes. But ultimately, it was kind of an unlucky bounce. He put in a great shot. Low in the corner. 2-1. Croatia with the lead at halftime. And so all of the good work Canada did in the first 20 minutes, gone evaporated and so second half second half Canada started to play better to start the second half and again I'll explain why they did but unfortunately Croatia was able to get a third goal because I'm not quite sure who Kamal Miller thought he was marking on the third goal because he was kind of in no man's land and so Kramaric got it and scored again 3-1 at that point it just never felt like Canada was ever really going to come back in this game and unfortunately for them, they conceded a fourth goal with, like, almost no time left. Kind of a, you know, rubbing salt in the wound type of thing. So, uh, fourth goal. Yeah, Kamal Miller. He, For all the good things Kamal Miller did in the Belgium game, he was really bad in this game. He wasn't the only one. I, I don't want to just single him out, but he, he was not good at all in this game. And it was a bad mistake. Two on, two on none, and they scored. And so, Croatia were the better team. They deserved to win. And... There's no way to sugarcoat that. Canada just wasn't good enough in this game. And one of the reasons they were getting torn apart for large stretches had to do with the formation. So I'm about to talk about some very technical stuff. So for those of you that aren't quite as familiar with football and the tactics around it, um, just bear with me. Don't worry. It'll I'll try and explain it in a way that makes sense. But 
basically you have your formations in football. So Canada in this game played a 4-4-2. That means four defenders, four midfielders, and two forwards. And they were all, it was a flat 4-4-2. So you have one, two, three, four horizontally, one, two, three, four horizontally, one, two. And that's pretty simple. Croatia played a 4-3-3. So four defenders, three midfielders, three forwards. Striker, left wing, right wing type of thing. So the reason why this is an issue is has to do with kind of the way that football strategy works and the way formations work. See, a big reason why teams play formations they do is because it suits their players the best. And the whole point of creating formations like this is that you're trying to create overloads and outnumbered situations as much as possible. The reason you do that is because it gives you the best chance to win. Either you outnumber the other team in attack or you outnumber the team in defense, so it's easier to defend. So for Canada, playing a 4-4-2 versus the 4-3-3 is not great because in the 4-4-2, you have a left mid, you have a right mid, and you have two center mids. In the 4-3-3, you have three center mids. So that's three midfielders in the middle versus two midfielders in the middle. That's an outnumbered situation where you have an overload issue. And so immediately, Canada is outnumbered. Now, I want to stress that a formation like a 4-4-2 can work if you have the right players for it. I just don't think Canada has the right players for it. For me, the 4-4-2, the best example of it was Leicester City when they won the Premier League title in 2016. That team had players like N'Golo Kante, had players like Danny Drinkwater, like Mark Albrighton, like Jamie Vardy, who put in the work rate and all the other little things you need in order to make it work. Canada, you know, with all due respect to the Canadian players, they're not set up the same way to be able to play that system. I think they're better in different formations and in different systems because it better suits the strength of the team. The 4-4-2, in my opinion, doesn't do that for Canada. And so back to the issue. So we have two center midfielders for one team, three for the other team. Now, there's a couple ways you can rectify this. One of them is you can have a striker drop in. So if either Laren or David drop deeper, that's a way to help create more of a three-on-three -three situation. The problem with that is Laren and David aren't really good at doing that, at dropping into midfield and providing support like that. They're kind of just better at being strikers. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, if you're asking them to drop in and play more defense, that's not really their strong suit. That's not where they shine. So you're kind of, you know, asking a player to do something they're not really that good at doing. Another option you can have to deal with the overload is have one of the wide players tuck in. So for example, if the ball is on the left side, you can have the right midfielder tuck into the middle to create a three-on-three -three situation. The problem with that is you leave yourself exposed to switches. So if the other team is able to send long balls and switch the field very quickly, you're outnumbered on the wing because out on the wing in a 4-3-3, you have your full back, either the right back or left back, and then you have the winger, either the left winger or right winger. So that's two players out wide for the opposing team versus one defender that you have because your wide midfielder is now tucking into the middle to help out dealing with an issue there. So you're basically solving one issue to create another issue, if that makes sense. So obviously, you know, 
the quality of your players will dictate how successful this is because you know if you're playing a team that isn't good at switching the ball right from right to left from one side to the other you can you know do that you can do that adjustment pretty easily and not get suffered or not suffer any damage for it i guess like not get exploited for this but again you know croatia is a good team like they're going to be able to exploit stuff like that the other way you can do it too the other way you can compensate for the three on two disadvantage is you can have a center back move up into that space the problem with that is you leave a one-on-one -on -one. and so obviously canada doesn't, doesn't want to do that because you know we don't exactly have the defenders that you can rely upon consistently to trust them you know for the whole game in one-on-one -on -one situations so that one of the center backs can push up and you know be the support in the midfield to help deal with the three on two so i hope that makes sense but essentially there's three croatian center midfielders there's only two canadian center midfielders and when you don't have the right players to be able to deal with the issues that that creates and especially when you're playing a team like croatia with players like modric and kovacic and brozovic it's really hard to get the ball off them so it's going to be a lot easier for the opponent to keep the ball in the middle of the field because there's three versus two and they're able to pass through you a lot easier and especially because atiba hutchinson really struggled to keep up he was just too slow you end up with the other team being able to create chances at will and croatia just canada was pinned back for like at least 15 minutes in that first half where they got nothing they were getting nothing forward because croatia was all over them and creating chance after chance after chance and so that's a problem now fortunately john herdman the canadian coach realized oh crap that's a problem so he switched things and that's why when he brought on the subs at halftime, he brought on Azorio and he brought on Kone, that made a real difference for Canada because now you had another player in midfield who could help deal with the issue, and Canada played a lot better. Unfortunately, even if you have perfect you know, execution of systems and you're able to counter what the other team's doing well, you know, if the other team has good players, good players make good plays. And you can have the perfect system all you want, but if you don't have the same quality of players that your opposition does it's really hard so canada kind of learned this the hard way that it's really hard for for them to be able to succeed against those croatian players and especially when the defenders just aren't playing well at all and it wasn't just miller johnston and vittoria in my opinion did not play well either and hutchinson got run off the field like he really did and then astakio got hurt astakio getting hurt really really that that one sucks because he's the best midfielder on the team and so by losing him now you're dealing with an even bigger disadvantage in the midfield it's it kind of just piles up i guess is the best way to describe it and so canada lost and they deserve to lose not just for the reasons i i outlined but it's just you know the other team plays better right and if your best players don't play as well as the other team's best players there's not a lot you can do about it. But Canada did score. And so I want to take the positive out of that. But anyway, so that was kind of the game. That's kind of how it went. And so now the question becomes, what's next for Canada? Well, the first thing is that I think they should keep John Herdman. Unless, like, he doesn't want to stay in the job. But if he wants to stay, I don't see any reason why Canada should get rid of him. Now, I just outlined, you know, some of his mistakes um, tactically, but when you're being a coach of a team, there's a lot of responsibility on the coach. 
and tactical responsibility is one of them, right? So your strategy, your tactics, that's one part of being a coach. And unfortunately, it's kind of the part John Herdman struggles with. He's not exactly great at that stuff because, and I'm not just talking about this one game. This is something we've seen at Gold Cups. This is something I've seen in qualifying sometimes. This is something I've seen when he was the coach of the women's team at the Women's World Cups. This is something that unfortunately is a weakness for him. But he's really good at the other stuff because, you know, it's not just about strategy and tactics. It's about, you know, picking the right players, making subs at the right time. It's about motivating your players, getting the best out of your players. And all of those things, which are really, really important, by the way, you need players or you need coaches, sorry, that can really get the best out of players. John Herdman is really good at that. And players want to play for him. They want to play hard for him. And he's really good about trying to achieve team cohesion. And I think he's done a great job of that. So I think Herdman deserves a lot of credit for what he's done. But, you know, he's also a coach that has, you know, some flaws, right? And hopefully he can continue to work on them. But I I would keep Herdman personally. I think he's done more than enough to keep his job personally. And as far as the last game goes for Canada, now that they're eliminated from the World Cup, um, this loss, unfortunately eliminates them so going into this final game I would number one if anyone's playing with an injury maybe don't risk them because we don't need people getting serious injuries number two uh, give some young players some minutes there's some young guys on the team that will hopefully still be on the team for the 2026 World Cup so maybe give them some minutes and then the final thing for this last game is just Atiba Hutchinson he was not good at all in this Croatia game but Atiba is a legend of the program. He's been here for so many years. He's helped try to guide the team through really dark times. And I think Atiba deserves a proper farewell. Now, he hasn't, re- he hasn't announced his retirement or anything like that. But if we're being honest with ourselves, Atiba Hutchinson won't be on this team in 2026. At least not as a player. He could be as a coach or something. But he won't be on the team as a player. And so... Because of that, I think it's only fair to send him off the way he deserves to be sent off properly. So that would be my thoughts on the Morocco game. Obviously, still try to win it because, you know, Canada would be nice to get our first point and our first win at a World Cup. But definitely, you know, with Canada losing this game, they are now out of the tournament and it sucks. It really does suck. But what can you do? It's uh, it's it's tough. Belgium's a good team. Croatia's a good team. Canada outplayed Belgium. They lost. It happens. Croatia outplayed them. They lost. And then you know what? You're out. And it's just in tournaments like this, if you're not at your best or, you know, you don't get a little bit of luck sometimes, sometimes you lose. It happens. For Canada, though, to me, just making the World Cup already a success. And so, you know, regardless of what happened in this tournament, I was already really proud of this team. And I can't wait to see what they do four years from now when Canada will be a co-host of the 2026 World Cup. So for Croatia, big win because now they only need a tie in their final game. But I'll go through all of the group uh, permutations and all the outcomes for this group a little bit later in the show when I talk about the Morocco-Belgium game. So that's it. That's my Canada recap. It was a long one, but... The rest of it will be a lot shorter, and I'll go through every single group. 
My apologies, by the way, on my voice sometimes. I'm still kind of recovering from COVID, and so a little bit of a cough is still there. So I apologize if I have, like, weird voice, like, interruptions and stuff like that. But I'm going to try my best to avoid those. But anyway, we're going to go start with Group C, starting with Mexico-Argentina. So this game was really important because if Argentina would have lost, they would have been eliminated from this tournament. And being one of the favorites, that's not exactly something you want to do. Fortunately for them, they did win this game. 2-0 the final score. And I have to... Gotta give credit where credit is due. Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi was the difference in this game. Messi hasn't always been spectacular for Argentina. And I know someone's gonna point out that, oh, but Messi is the all-time leading goal scorer for Argentina. And it's like, yeah, he is. But he also, his goals per game ratio is way lower for Argentina than it is for Barcelona. And he has zero goals in knockout stage games at the World Cup. And he has zero goals in any of his finals, including the Copa America. So anyway, Messi though, in this game, was the difference, positively. This game really didn't have a lot of chances going either way. Mexico struggled to create offensive chances. Argentina struggled to create offensive chances. And in a game like this, where it's you know pretty deadlocked, not a lot going either way, you need players to produce moments of magic, moments of genius. And Lionel Messi did that. Messi, brilliant shot, low in the corner, beat Ochoa and his team led one nothing, And that was what you need from your best player, from the player that you rely on so much. Because in a, game, in a game like this, he is the guy that you turn to when you need something to happen. And he made it happen on this occasion. Argentina was able to get a second goal. Fernandez scored a brilliant goal. It was a great curler into the top corner that beat Ochoa. And it gave Argentina much-needed goal difference help. And so they win... 2-0 in this game over Mexico. For Mexico, just not enough going forward. They, I think they defended pretty well for the most part. Again, it took a really good Messi goal and a really good Fernandez goal to beat them, but just not enough offensively for this Mexican team, and that's something that they will have to try and improve on for their final game because, well, as I'm about to outline here in just a minute, Mexico is in tough. Uh, they're kind of in a rough, rough spot right now. So not great for them. But credit to Argentina. They got the win they needed. And now they probably need one more. But again, I'll outline this in just a second. But first, I'm going to talk about Poland and Saudi Arabia. So Poland got their first win of the tournament. Zielinski opened the scoring for the Polish side. And then Robert Lewandowski, it was a really bad defensive mistake he took the ball off the defender and slotted it home his first ever goal at the world cup and for anyone who saw the goal and saw the celebration afterwards Lewandowski was in tears he was crying after he scored that's how much it meant to him and so you can't help but feel good for the guy you know getting a huge goal for his country to again pad goal difference but it also put Poland in the pole position pun not intended they're in the pole position to now advance from this group. And they could, in fact, still win this group. But speaking of that, let's outline these scenarios. So this is the scenario for Group C going into the final day of games at the group stage. So for Poland, 
they need at least a tie to advance. They can advance with a loss as well, but they would need Mexico and Saudi Arabia to tie or for Mexico to win by only one goal while they lose by one goal type of thing. So, you know, a little complicated if they lose, but if they tie, they're through, you know, free and clear. And if they win the game, they automatically win the group. And they would also eliminate Argentina. So, for Argentina, a win means they qualify. So a win, you're in. Pretty simple. A tie, um, that's more complicated. A tie can get them through, but they would need Saudi Arabia to either lose or draw. Uh, or Mexico can't win by 4 nothing or something like that. So as long as those things happen, Argentina can advance with a draw. A loss eliminates them immediately. So win and you're in for Argentina. They could also win the group if they win their final game against Poland. A draw can get them in if certain other things go their way. And then a loss elimination. For Saudi Arabia, it's actually really simple. Win and you're in. A tie only gets you in if Argentina loses. And then a loss is elimination. For Mexico, it's a lot more complicated and they need a lot more help. They need a win and an Argentina loss. Or win by a lot of goals. Those are kind of their only options. If one of those things doesn't happen, it's going to be bye-bye to Mexico for this tournament. So they either need a win and an Argentina loss or win by a lot of goals. One of those scenarios will get them in, but they're not exactly the easiest ones to rely upon. So a lot to play for in Group C, but Saudi Arabia has a chance to advance to the knockout stage for the first time ever. And Argentina and Poland, to some extent, are playing for their lives. So, should be fun. Can't wait to watch. And that is the Group C scenario outcomes. So, now on to Group D. I'm going to start with the France and Denmark game. This game was hyped up to be one of the games of the group stage. And... Unfortunately for Denmark, it didn't really turn out the way they were hoping it would. France won this game 2-1 to the final score. Kylian Mbappe made the difference. He got both goals for France in this game. That He now has three, so he's tied for the tournament lead. And in my opinion, if you were handing out the golden ball for the best player of the tournament so far, my pick would be Kylian Mbappe. He's been really good, and he has a lot of potential legacy climbing he can do if he continues to play like he has at this tournament so Mbappe made the difference France win two to one Denmark just in my opinion hasn't looked that good like Denmark didn't play that well against Tunisia and they drew and then now they lost to France and so now they're uh, they're in a tough one they're in a tough one going into their final game but fortunately for Denmark they still control their own destiny at least for the most part. The other game in this group was Tunisia and Australia. Australia won this game 1-0 on a goal from Duke scored in the 23rd minute. It basically was a cross that took a deflection and then Duke, like, great adjustment just in the air, and he headed it in. And so Tunisia, unfortunately, after the great draw against Denmark, they missed out on an opportunity. Australia was probably the weaker team in this group that they could have beaten. Now they have to play France. Even if France rests players, it's uh, not looking too great 
for Tunisia right now. For Australia, they needed this win. They obviously played France first, and they lost, so they kind of needed to win this game. They did win this game, and now Australia is in the best position to advance alongside France. So, here are the Group D scenarios. France are in to the round of 16. They have already clinched it, and they will win the group as long as, number one, they don't get killed by Tunisia, so, like, you know, lose by several goals, or Australia doesn't beat Denmark. Any of those will win France the group, regardless of their result. So, obviously, if they win or draw, then France would obviously win the group at that point as well. For Australia, win and you're in. A tie probably gets them in? Question mark, question mark. The reason why I say that is because they would need Tunisia to lose or lose or draw to France. So as long as Tunisia doesn't beat France, a tie is good enough for Australia. And then a loss eliminates them. For Denmark, they need a win, and they need to have a better goal difference than Tunisia if Tunisia beats France. Otherwise, the win will just get them in. For Tunisia, they need to be able to beat France, and they need Australia to either lose or tie, and then win on goal difference. So, yeah, tough one for Tunisia. But Denmark-Australia, if you're looking for the game to watch, because obviously all these games for the final match day take place at the same time, if you're looking for the game to keep an eye on more than the other one, Denmark and Australia, they're playing for their lives. That's the one that matters more. Obviously, you know, things could happen in the other game that impact what's happening in the Denmark-Australia game. But more than more likely than not, Denmark-Australia is the one you want to watch for this one. So, should be fun. Can't wait to watch it. Now on to Group E. So, I'm going to start with Spain and Germany. This was obviously a very hyped-up match. And... To a large extent, I would say it lived up to the billing. It was a very entertaining 1-1 tie. Spain opened the scoring. Germany technically opened the scoring, but it was ruled out for offside. It was just, just barely offside. And Spain ended up getting the goal from Barata. And then Germany equalized from Fulkrug. Apologize if I butchered that name. And so my overall takeaway from this game, I think Germany was actually the better team. I thought Germany created more high-end chances. They probably had, should have had a few more goals than what they did. Musiala had one. Musiala, by the way, was really good in this game, but he had like a clear in on goal chance that he missed. And just, you know, it's... For Germany, I think they're going to be upset that it, they didn't win this game because I think they should have won this game. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't go your way. For Spain, a tie is really big because with the goal difference they have, the 7 nothing win over Costa Rica, Spain now find themselves in a very, very good position going into the final match day. So before I get into the outcomes and the possibilities of Group E, I want to talk about Japan and Costa Rica. And I want to talk specifically about Japan. First, Costa Rica won. Won nothing. Credit to Costa Rica. After the horrible performance against Spain, they came out and they won the game. Credit to them. They scored a nice goal. But Japan. So... Japan won against Germany, and their coach decided, hmm, what a great win for my country. You know what I should do? How about take out half the starting 11 and change it out for bench players? That'll work. Yeah, Costa Rica isn't very good. Let's just not take them seriously and make a whole bunch of changes to a team that won. Wait, what? Not a joke. They did that, and I don't know why they did that, because... Japan, if they would have won this game, 
would have probably yes they would have advanced to the next round but now you know they have to actually play for it in the final game and they didn't probably they probably didn't need to costa rica scored with their only shot on target the whole game i just i don't know i can't i can't explain that one just don't take your opponents lightly that's my biggest takeaway credit to costa rica they're still alive they can get in with a you know with a win as well so we'll we'll dive into this all right so here are the group e scenarios for spain a draw gets them in a win wins the group they can also make it if they lose but costa rica would have to not win their game against germany so that's spain scenario for japan if they win they win the group on probably on goal difference a tie can get them in but they would need costa rica to lose uh or germany to like not win by several goals so probably a tie preferably a tie in the other game if you're japan if they draw but of course a win you know doesn't a win wins the group and a loss eliminates them so that's you know they they got a lot to play for a lot on the line in this final game for costa rica win and you're in a tie only gets them in if japan loses and then a loss eliminates them and for germany they need to win a draw gets them nothing a draw eliminates them and a loss eliminates them too but they need a win and a japan loss or a win and a japan tie as long as they beat costa rica by more than one goal like by two or more so those scenarios get germany in so every team has something to play for and if you're asking me which game you should watch if or which game you should focus on if you know obviously i know it's it's 2022 you know it's pretty easy to watch two games at the same time but if you're asking me if you're asking me which one to focus on probably japan and spain just because that game probably has more of an impact on the rest of the group but either way both games are worth watching so group e will be a little chaotic on the final day but that's where the fun begins right so should be good next up is group f so this is canada's group so if you want to listen to the canada croatia stuff that was the first 20 minutes of this podcast so go listen to that but if you're here for the belgium morocco game i want to talk about that for a bit so morocco win two nothing against belgium a humongous win for them Saïs scored the opening goal for them and then that was from a free kick by the way as well which was really good really good smart free kick because Thibaut Courtois was not in the right position and they took advantage and it's smart delivery because you saw the goalkeeper was out of position and good delivery so and then the second goal Akeem Ziyech made a tremendous play he like it was one of the best assists of the whole tournament and he set up um Abu Kahal again I apologize if I butchered that but he scored the goal for them but all like Ziyech did like all the work on that tremendous assist tremendous assist and Morocco win two nothing they actually scored another goal but it was ruled out for offside and correctly ruled out for offside in my opinion it was one of those where it was about determining whether or not a player got involved in the play or not which is the one thing the technology can't really dictate and so the humans the referees looked at it and they determined it was offside i agree with their assessment 
So, Morocco win 2 nothing, And now, they are in the best spot in Group F. So here are the Group F scenarios. Unfortunately, Canada's eliminated. Sad face. For Morocco, they play Canada on the final day. A win or a draw gets them in. A win and a Croatia draw or loss wins the group. They can also make it with a loss, but they would need Belgium to lose or draw. For Croatia, they need a win to win the group, a draw will get them through, and a loss only gets them in if Morocco lose. So that's kind of their scenario. And for Belgium, win and you're in, and a draw can only get them in if Morocco lose to Canada by three goals. So not that's not that likely. So realistically a win and you're in for Belgium. So that's the scenario. If you're asking me which game to watch, as a Canadian, I will be watching Morocco Canada. But or like I'll be watching both games obviously, but like I'm going to be more focused on the Canada game. But if you're asking me as a neutral, Croatia and Belgium has more on the line than Morocco Canada does. So that's the game you should watch as a neutral. If you're Canadian though, Watch the Canadian team. Hopefully they get their first win at a Men's World Cup. Now, on to the second last group, Group G. So I'm going to start with Brazil versus Switzerland. So Brazil looked pretty good in this game. Vinicius had like a ton of chances and just wasn't able to finish them. He scored one chance, but it was ruled out for offside just barely in the buildup. But like Vinicius, like, I don't know how he didn't have like at least two goals in this game. And the goal itself for Brazil, they won this game 1-0, by the way. The goal was scored by Casemiro. So not exactly the player you were expecting to score, but it was a great goal. Great finish by Casemiro. And Brazil now find themselves in a very good position going into the final day. For Switzerland, it was always going to be tough against Brazil. You know, they were clearly the second best team on the field against Brazil. But again, it was always going to be an uphill battle for them. Fortunately, they got the win against Cameroon. And so they very much control their own destiny going into their last game. The other game in this group was a barn burner. Cameroon and Serbia. So, here's how it went down. Cameroon opened the scoring with Castelletto. Serbia got three in a row with Pavlovic, Milinkovic-Savic, and Mitrovic all scoring. So they led 3-1. to one. And then Cameroon got one back. It was one of the best goals of the tournament. Abubakar with a beautiful chip. He got played in. It was actually called for offside initially, but they took it back because the technology determined he was actually onside correctly. And so, but it was a great goal. He got played in and it was just, he basically flicked the ball up nice and high over the goalie, bounced, and then went into the net. Beautiful chip goal. Great goal. And then just literally a couple minutes later, Chupo Moting scores for Cameroon to give them the tie. It's 3-3 the final. A, an absolute thriller. Like, just one of the best games of the whole tournament so far. So, great game. Unfortunately for Cameroon, they probably needed a win more than they needed a tie, but they're at least still technically mathematically alive. And for Serbia, getting that point means they still at least have a chance on the final day. But again, Serbia was probably hoping for a win rather than a tie, especially because they had a 3-1 lead and they blew it. So, for Group G, here are the scenarios. For Brazil, it's pretty simple. A winner draw gets them first place in the group. They've already made that. They've already advanced. Like they have enough points. They're through to the round of 16. 
they win the group if they win or draw or Switzerland lose or draw or Switzerland don't win by multiple goals. That's so, you know, it's pretty unlikely Brazil wouldn't win the group at this point. For Switzerland, a draw probably gets them in. A draw and a Cameroon loss or draw gets them in. If Cameroon win, then a draw probably gets Switzerland in, but it'll come down to goal difference. A win obviously gets them in. A loss eliminates them. For Serbia, they need to win. They have to win. And they need to make sure that they have a better goal difference than Cameroon if Cameroon beats Brazil. If Cameroon doesn't win against Brazil, then it doesn't matter as long as they win. They will go through. So, Serbia-Switzerland, I did say this in my preview episode, that these two teams played for the second spot out of the group in 2018. They're going to do it again. It's a rematch. Serbia has been waiting for this. Serbia lost last time to Switzerland. If they want revenge, this is as good a time as any for them. So that's the game to watch. See if Serbia can exact the revenge on Switzerland or if Switzerland can once again beat Serbia to advance to the round of 16. Can't wait. And now the final group, Group H. So going to start with Uruguay and Portugal. Bentancur almost scored for Uruguay, but he at least got their first shot on target in the thing. But Portugal won this game 2-0. So, yeah, Uruguay had a couple chances, but it just wasn't there for them. They just weren't good enough in this game. And Portugal, credit to them. Like, you know, they're not always super impressive, but they have a lot of good players. And Bruno Fernandes, absolute player of the game. Ronaldo almost headed the first goal in. It got memed a lot on social media for different reasons, but like Ronaldo very nearly just missed it on the first goal. And so it went straight in Bruno Fernandez goal. And then Ronaldo actually got subbed off. So Bruno took the penalty kick that Portugal won and he slotted it away. Great game from Bruno. He played really good and Portugal got a huge, huge win. And unfortunately for Uruguay, the second goal, I mean, I sort of don't think it was a handball and I disagree on the penalty kick, but it didn't it didn't really matter result wise because they were kind of losing anyways and it didn't really ever feel like they were going to tie the game so it kind of sucks they you know the penalty i think they were unlucky on but again you know play better for the rest of the game type of thing and then we have Ghana South Korea which is the game i really want to talk about so once again a barn burner Ghana South Korea man this game was intense so Ghana started out great they got a goal from Salizu and then their second goal they got from their young rising star Kudus and then South Korea tied the game by getting back-to-back goals from Cho they were both headers on crosses really great job in the air Cho just tracking the ball great headers into the back of the net South Korea turned it around and then not even like a couple minutes later Kudus again scores for Ghana this guy has been one of the best young players in this whole tournament. So they got a good one in Kudus. But for South Korea, they there was a little bit of controversy at the, at the end of this game. Their coach actually got a red card because South Korea got a corner kick with, like, basically no time left in the game. And the referee blew the whistle for full time, and South Korea lost it. And their coach ended up getting a red card because of it. 
if you're asking me, I think their reaction is justified. Now, you never want to get it. You never want to get a red card, obviously. You know, getting a red card means you're suspended, right? And all that. But the referee's got to let the corner play out. The whole point, this is one of the things I like about football. The whole point of having the running clock that, you know, is up to the referee's discretion when the game ends. The whole point of having that is so you don't have the buzzer go off. And then it's like, oh, time's up. And it doesn't, doesn't matter if your team had a breakaway. It doesn't matter if they had an open net. If the buzzer goes off, it's done. Simple. But in football, because of the way the clock works, if a team gets a breakaway, you let the chance play out. If a team gets a corner kick, let them take the corner. If they don't score from the corner, then, you know, that's kind of it. And if you're wondering, by the way, teams don't score on corner kicks that often, so it probably didn't make a difference result-wise, but I completely understand why South Korea was upset, and I think they had a right to be upset. But nonetheless, this was a tremendous game. It was a great game. It was just, man, back and forth, emotions, just like, man, I, I enjoyed it very much as a neutral. I can't imagine actually rooting for one of these countries because, oh my God, that would have been so stressful. So stressful, but great game. And again, kudos for Ghana. This guy, he's 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 the one to watch for the next few years. He's a he's a really good player. And so that brings us to the outcomes and the scenarios for Group H going into the final day for Portugal. They're in with the win, and so for Portugal, they're just trying to win the group. A win or a draw wins the group. A loss only wins the group if Ghana loses or ties or only wins by one goal. So for Portugal, they've probably already won the group, but they'll have to mathematically seal it. But they are through to the round of 16, regardless of what happens. For Ghana, a win gets them in. A tie gets them in unless South Korea win by multiple goals, in which case they would be eliminated in that scenario. And if Ghana doesn't win by multiple themselves... A loss, unfortunately, will eliminate Ghana. Uruguay need a win and a South Korea loss or draw. South Korea can win, but not by more goals than what Uruguay wins by, and that's the only way they can get in. For South Korea, a win and a draw in the other game will get them in. Otherwise, they're hoping to win by lots of goals or hoping Uruguay only wins by one goal. That's pretty much the only way they can get in. So, what's the game to watch? Well, in this group to me, or at least the game to pay attention to more, in this group to me, it's very easy. It is the rematch. And I know the players on both teams are very different. The coaches are different. But it's got to be Ghana-Uruguay. Ghana and Uruguay, for those of you that don't remember the 2010 World Cup, this is what happened. Ghana made the quarterfinals. They are only the second African team to ever make the quarterfinals. And in that tournament, in the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, Ghana took the lead. They had a 1-0 lead on Uruguay. And then Forlan scored, and so it ended up tying the game 1-1. And so they went to extra time. In extra time, literally minutes, just minutes left on the clock. Ghana got a chance. It was a scramble play in the box. It was going back and forth. They were trying to get it on target. And finally, they got a header. And Luis Suarez, who's still on the Uruguay team, Luis Suarez uses his hands and 
smacks it out of the net to prevent it from going in. Correctly, the referee called it, called a penalty kick, and gave Suarez a red card. Suarez was suspended for the for the next game and stuff. And Asamoah Jan, he had a chance to send Ghana to the semifinals. It was a historic moment because no African team has ever made the semifinals. And Ghana literally were gifted the absolute best chance that anyone's ever had to make the semifinals. Jan hit the bar on the penalty kick. And so then it went to a shootout. And in the shootout, Uruguay won in the shootout against Ghana. And so Ghana was eliminated because Suarez used his hand to prevent the ball from going in the net. The ball was going in. Don't make any mistake about it. So it's personal. It's real personal for Ghana because the Suarez thing haunts them because they could have been the first African team to make the semifinals. And Suarez took that away from them, kind of literally. Uruguay ended up losing the next game in that tournament to the Netherlands in the semifinals. But, I mean, the thing about Suarez's play there is that almost anyone would have done the same thing because you're you're basically taking away a guarantee and putting it up to at least a little bit of a chance. Penalty kicks usually go in more than they don't, but sometimes players miss. And in this case, he missed. And so, you know, I don't blame Suarez for what he did because anybody would have done the same. But... For Ghana, it's personal. And they have a chance to eliminate Uruguay because it's Ghana and Uruguay. And so this is the game to watch. This is the game that will be very, very entertaining, in my opinion. So if you're looking for one to pay attention to, it's this one. And so I can't wait for match day three to finish off. I'm going to have an episode tomorrow after the after the group C and D games. And then I will have two episodes on Friday because I will have the recap episodes for match day three of the other four groups. And then I will also have the preview episode for all the round of 16 matchups. We already have two because group A and group B played today. I'm not gonna talk about those games right now. I'll talk about them in the next episode, but I can't wait. I can't wait. The round of 16 is the best part of this tournament. And the final day of matches, there's so many different scenarios. So There's only like a handful of teams that aren't playing for anything. So buckle up. Can't wait. Should be fun. And that's it. That's all I got for this episode. So thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World Game, a World Cup podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I will be doing reaction episodes throughout the tournament. The music is from Pixabay. The whole thing gets going on November 20th, so make sure you subscribe and don't miss a moment of the 2022 World Cup.